Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. There are so many people that are staying up at night right now, wanting what comes so easy to you. And that's the thing. As long as something comes easy to you and it's not so easy for someone else and you like doing, you have a business. Or if you've overcome an obstacle in your life and now you can teach that, you have a business and that's all it is. And there's billions of people that need this. All you have to do is show up. is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Helen Simpkins. She is a location-independent entrepreneur, branding and marketing expert, business coach, and full-time digital nomad. She is the founder of The Nomad Influence, where she teaches ambitious women how to build, brand, and launch a freedom-based business from scratch so they can run it while traveling the world. After getting her BFA in graphic design and over 10 years experience working at startups, ad agencies, and as a remote creative freelancer, Helen built her own business while traveling the world through 30 countries on six continents. She now teaches her clients the exact blueprint and roadmap that she used. In her one-on-one coaching program, she helps her clients develop their own business idea based on their existing expertise start monetizing it within a couple weeks and build a reputable brand with a location independent infrastructure that empowers them to travel the world. Helen, welcome to the show. My gosh, what an introduction. I love that. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. I feel like it has been over a year since we have seen each other. We last hung out in Dubai in December of 2019. Oh my God. And what a whirlwind and life was so different back then. 
It was so different back then, although you have been keeping up a pretty impressive itinerary in terms of where you've chosen to post up during the pandemic. And let's start off with that for some context, just in terms of where we are today and that we have agreed to make this a wine-induced conversation. And so let's talk about where we are and what we're drinking. I am currently in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, And I have opened a bottle of red wine from Sicily. It's a really nice red wine, actually. It is a red blend. The primary varietal is the Frappato grape, which is only grown in Sicily, actually. And a lot of people don't know this because when they think of Italian wines, a lot of times people think of wine regions like Tuscany or Piedmont or things like that. But Sicily is actually produces more wine than either of those regions. It's one of the largest wine producing regions in Italy and has some really unique varietals as well that only grow in Sicily. And it's a volcanic island. So you get a lot of really interesting flavors in the wine there. So that is what I'm going to be drinking through tonight. But you are in a very interesting location. You actually went snorkeling this afternoon, you told me. So tell us where you are, Helen, and uh, what you're drinking. I just landed here actually this morning and I'm in Turks and Caicos out of all places. But, you know, they're only letting Americans into so many places. So when it starts to get cold, we just fly south and we just go with it. But I have with me a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand, but it's definitely very warm here. I cannot believe the aqua water like it is actually the color that you see on TV and all the rum in the world. It's just beautiful. I feel so lucky to be able to be down here, especially with everything going on. So yeah, I'm in paradise. (laughs) I've already seen the pictures on your Instagram, which looks absolutely epic. I've actually never been to Turks and Caicos, despite me going to a number of islands in the Caribbean. That is one I have yet to uh, experience. So I'm going to be following you pretty closely to see how you're experience evolves there. But let's actually use that to go way back, Helen, because we want to understand how it is that you got to this pristine beach on Turks and Caicos that you're just going to stay on indefinitely (laughs) and work (laughs) remotely from. So if you were to take us all the way back, let's start with, with your background. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And as you were growing up, how did your initial interest in travel develop? So I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, which is a very northeastern state in the States. It's very cold there, but it's, you know, a lovely city. It's very honestly European. A lot of Europeans that come there, it's the closest thing. It's the oldest city in the States. They still have the oldest bar in America existing there. But you know what's funny? Like, even when you just asked that, because I've thought about this, when the tooth fairy would come, my currency was always foreign. And it's almost like my parents were putting into my subconscious brain that there is a world outside of this little teeny tiny bubble that you are growing in that's so much larger than you can imagine. But the first time I really crossed the pond was in my junior year in high school. My brother, who was a chef, got advanced in culinary school, cooked abroad. So we went to Italy and then I went to France only two months after with my French class. So it was really amazing to be able to have a young experience crossing the pond, being in two different European cities, but also having basically supervisors with you so you couldn't fuck up in any way. But back then we were at the corner of the streets with our Rick Steves books, like just trying to figure it out. So it's so crazy to think, 
what my life is now to then. But the earlier that you're introduced to a life that's outside of yours, I think you'll forever be like, I need to know more about this life. I need to explore more. Like, I can't believe how much is actually out there. So I would say from such a young age, like from tooth fairy money ways to then actually living and breathing it family wise, but then also learning French in school, having kind of like the Madeline single file line in France with like your French teachers to then um, I did my first real trip kind of alone, but not alone with my girlfriend. When we said we graduated high school, we would do it. And we traveled all through Europe into Eastern Europe, kind of backpacker style, but like, you know, not really, not really backpacker style, but we only spent $1,500 in 16 days, Amsterdam, Berlin, Prague, Vienna, Budapest. And it was amazing. And just to be like two independent women doing it too, I think feeling like, we're graduated, we're doing it, we're drinking real wine, we're eating real cheese, we're getting on five euro bus tickets, like going from country to country and just like really experiencing life. It was like, I gotta have more of this all the time. So then, yeah. And then, you know, all that real world stuff hit where people want you to have real jobs and stuff. I can totally relate to that. I mean, I studied abroad in college and my roommate and I were based in Ireland and we went through Europe for a month on the Euro rail during our winter break. And it was just an absolutely life changing experience. And it just lights you up inside and just expands your world like exponentially. And you just get so excited about it. But then, as you said, you got to somehow figure out how to make money <laughs> to sustain that. And there's this whole career path that society kind of has you on. So how did you navigate that? I mean, maybe let's talk a little bit about your career trajectory and your your professional expertise as well. I mean, in terms of where did your passion for being a creative come from? Yeah. And then how did that lead you through your professional career trajectory? You know, it's so crazy because, you know, just like you said, we just grow up with society having these rules and how we should live. And of that, you have to have an education, you have to have a job, you'll meet somebody along the way, and then that's it. And you'll build the white picket fence. But I feel like in my life, I really built my way forward in my career step by step. For instance, in high school, I had absolutely no art. So when I was in high school, I didn't really want to go to college and it wasn't that I didn't want to go because I love to learn, but just like everyone else, like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I know I'm not going to do math. I know I'm not going to do English. I know I'm not going to do anything that I'm doing in high school right now. So that was difficult. But my mother, she was like, Helen, you're an artist. Like you ran for vice president and you spent weeks creating, you know, your bubble letter posters all over high school four floors and wrote your essay the night before and everything was very art focused in my life but I would have never known that so I just went to a state school undeclared asked the dean if I could take art classes he's like yeah sure and then I was like I kind of like this this is cool this is fun um presented that as my portfolio got into that college and just went from there and you know what's actually really funny is I remember way back in when if ever, anybody knows what a live journal is, I was a huge person on live journal, which is ridiculous because it's exactly what I do now is like documenting my travels, taking photos, doing the whole thing. But 
one day, and this is when I was 14, somebody asked me if they could pay me for, to create like a live journal layout, let's say. And I remember screaming to my mom, like, mom, is web designer like a thing? Like, could I be? What is that? Because it was so, so new. When I went to college, people say, so you're going to go to school to be a starving artist? Like, I don't get it. Why would you do this? But to me, I was like, I'm working on a computer and I want to be able to one day have a family and be home with the kids. I want to have a location independent lifestyle where I have that luxury. And we just kind of, you know, changed it a little bit as we went on and it was like, well, we're not going to have kids, but maybe we're going to travel the world. So in any case, I ended up doing the whole graphic design thing, graduated with only like 36 people. And that was just a little bit after 2008. So Typical, no jobs, everything like that. Worked at a couple startups, three for all six months when everybody thought that they should have an app and they all shouldn't have had an app, but they all wanted to. (laughs) And then, yeah, I worked at some ad agencies and that's where I really got so much work-life experience. And that's where I really, my heart goes out to anybody that graduated high school or college now during this pandemic that they that's been taken away because still to this day, I would say if you want to have this lifestyle, that's amazing. And I salute you, but you need to have that first work life experience because you just don't get that in college. And that's how you really grow as an entrepreneur or in your career first. Right. Yeah. What's really interesting, I think about your trajectory is you worked both in the startup space Mm-hmm. And then you worked for mega enormous corporations like Fidelity, where you had access to huge amounts of resources and you were involved in designing marketing campaigns that ultimately went on to create billions of dollars of revenue for the yeah. company and all that kind of stuff. And so you've really been on all of those different sides as well as doing you know, creative freelancing and things like that. So with your decade or so of work experience before you started your current business, what would you say if you were to just distill down some of the lessons that you learned from working in those environments that you took forward with you and we're able to apply in general in your own business, just the sort of the bigger picture lessons or takeaways from that, all of that work experience. Literally everything, but I will boil it down to the specific things because I definitely would never be where I am now without that experience. But in the startup world, of course, you know, I think in our society, we grew up being, it's favorable to be a jack of all trades. And that's exactly what I did. I was doing all the design, all the marketing, all the copywriting, every single thing. And you have to be so quick on your feet. There's a ton of pressure because as in a startup, you know, the founders are using their own money and it's not like a place like Fidelity, right? So I learned so much with that, working on a team, working under fire, working until nine o'clock at night, so much learning, especially within three different environments. But then when I was more in the advertising space, it blew me away. I think I've always loved psychology and the way humans think and their behavior. And so advertising, it's like, okay, how are we going to compel this person, whether it's to make them laugh, cry, like feel anything within 15 seconds in a TV spot, that's going to say, oh my God, I need to have that product. So that was huge to be able to work with writers on such big ideas and know that there was so much money that could go into that to just put a sticky note on the wall. And I really learned how to innovate 
I would say. And so much of that has gone into my teaching now. But to put a sticky note on a wall and then later that turn into 42 point whatever billion dollars in assets, you can truly see how just one idea can develop into something so larger than life and something that you would never be able to do on your own. Of course, eventually, sure. But can I say I'll ever, you know, design a train station domination, bus shelter, Times Square digital ad, threefold print ad and like Condé Nast? No. So to be able to have that kind of experience and with talent that has been there for a long time was incredible. And then from after Fidelity, I wanted to go Fidelity, you'd consider an in-house advertising agency. So we were all just working on that one brand. And then I wanted to branch out because I also just didn't want to have one brand in my own portfolio to then work with like Breville, PayPal, Cedars Hummus, like different brands as well and work on different teams individually, depending on what that brand is to get that customer service and working with clients was, I mean, I would go into meetings with notes written down to make sure that I'm like, I'm in my early twenties and these people put millions of dollars on the line and I'm trying to sell them in my idea and concept and design that I came up with. I would have never gotten that experience anywhere else, but also have, you know, my creative directors advising me and preparing me for these things to do a TV spot, to see that live and breathe. So in a nutshell, the startups to be able to wear many hats, be able to change in the blink of an eye to stay up all night and just go with the flow and also know you can give it your all and whatever happens, happens, and that's okay but to just go in the blink of an eye and work under that kind of pressure is really good to be able to truly innovate and think, okay, here's a single-minded idea from a company that wants to sell this specific product to this specific demographic. Here's a million dollars, make it fucking happen. And you're like, okay, I'm going to work, you know, with a writer or someone to innovate this and go from a sticky note to a full blown campaign and have that beautiful experience to also be able to articulate and present that work to very, very high ups. (laughs) Like, hey, Abby Johnson, like, what do you think of this sketch kind of stuff? Going back to a Red Sox ad, if we won the World Series, we literally put on a a sketch and scanned it to the VP of Fidelity that I had never met in person. I was just a contractor. I was 26 years old. And he was like, yeah, I love it. Go with it. And then staying up all night to create this thing that was going to go in the Boston Globe and Sports Illustrated the next day. And that was just after like two or three weeks of working there. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, did this just happen? So, but had I not worked at a startup, I wouldn't have been able to really run with the fire like that. And all of that has been a huge lesson in building my business now, I would say 100% for sure. That's amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about that transition from the corporate world to becoming an entrepreneur and also a location independent entrepreneur so that (laughs) you could design your dream lifestyle and run your business at the same time. Can you talk us through how that transition came about and how you executed that? A hundred percent. So I think, you know, in our lives, we're always, I'm going to go to the next job. I'm going to make a little bit more money. I'm going to be able to, you know, get up higher in the ladder. It's going to be different this time, but it's never really different, right? Or it is different, but we're just getting to know ourselves better. So the writing was really on the wall when I took a 
two week vacation, saved up all my allocated hours and I went all the way across the world to New Zealand. And as I was locking up the Airbnb to go to the airport, I got the call from HR. I got laid off and I felt so relieved. It was such a blessing in disguise. And it was so poetic that I was always someone looking up travel locations. Where am I going to go next? I would take off Friday, fly somewhere Thursday night, and then take the red eye Sunday and go right into work on Monday. Like I would do anything to go anywhere. So that's how it all initially happened. Plus, I was already Airbnb my place. So it was very nice and cushy, of course, very privileged to be making unemployment off this, have Airbnb, was forced into living into a suitcase, basically. And that's when I had always been freelancing since out of college. So I would do that on the side all the time. And I was like, all right, looks like I'm updating my portfolio. I'm going to concentrate on getting more clients. Everybody who had just gotten laid off at the agency, making connections on LinkedIn, that taught me how to let me put myself back out there again. And remember, I think when we work at a job, we forget there is an entire outside world. And so that made me go back out there. And then I really babysat it. I learned that I really need to understand what it is I want. And I'm going to just try different things. So I was interviewing at different spots. I took a temp job for three weeks at another job. And then I was also freelancing. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to go overseas for a month and a half. And I'm going to book my flight back. And I started in Tel Aviv. So I went from Israel to Jordan to Turkey to Bosnia to Croatia and flew home. And I said, at the end of this trip, you're going to either have told yourself I'm dying to get home or you could have stayed out longer. And I could have stayed out longer. So I went home. I packed up the rest of my apartment and I was out. Like, that was it. I was like, this is my life now. And so, you know, what I always say to everyone, this life 100% is not for everybody. And that's okay. But you just have to ask yourself what you want and test and try those different things to truly understand what that could be. And as soon as I did that, I was like, this is it. Like, I want this whole freedom. And then eventually, and so many people were coming to me and asking me, how did you achieve this lifestyle? What did you do? And that is when more of my intuition and gut step kept pulling at me and calling at me, you need to help these people. And before I had even gone to New Zealand, I remember scrolling on Instagram and there is a photo and I wish to God I had that photo of who it was. And it was just, you know, some girl, ambiguous girl in this travel location I had never even heard of. And I showed that picture to a friend and I was like, man, that could be me. Like I could do this. And he's like, so why don't you? And he's like, you're turning 30 in two weeks. Like, what do you want to do with your life? Because if it's not now, like this, it's now. And it was just so crazy. All the stars were aligned and everything like that. We had my 30th birthday. I went to New Zealand. I got laid off. I was living out of a suitcase automatically. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm out of here. And then that was it. <laughs> that was it. That's amazing. I as well, Helen, had had that major life transition at age 30. I got fired from my job at age 30 and I made the decision in that moment that I wasn't going to work for anybody else either. And I was going to figure out how to do my own thing 
and how to do it with the location-independent infrastructure. So uh, relate to that entirely. And I want to ask you a little bit now about your nomad lifestyle. You and I have hung out on at least three continents, I want to say. We've been to a number of countries together and have had some really epic times. But I want to just ask you in general, now that you have total location independence and you have total control over your lifestyle and COVID notwithstanding, right? Let's just say pre-pandemic, right? When the world mm-hmm. is is totally normal. How do you choose to structure your lifestyle? What is your travel cadence? How do you choose where to go? How long do you stay? What is sort of your optimal lifestyle structure? Well, first before I would say, I won't go anywhere shorter than three weeks, three weeks minimum. Now it's turned into a little bit longer than that. And I think that's just honestly, when work gets busier, you know, your first year as let's call it a quote, digital nomad, you're like, oh my God, there's so much candy out here. I have to have all of it. But then you get so used to the lifestyle that you build homes in different places. It's really just what you're after. And I feel like I'm still a young traveler. It was my first time to Asia this past year. I've only been to South America into Brazil once. Like I've been to all the continents, but I've never been able to just chill. And my first two years, I always had obligations to go to whether they were weddings or whatever they were. But now I would look at what kind of communities are there? What is the weather? But more of like, what is the vibe that you want? Like, do you want to escape into the mountains and just be by yourself and work and zen the F out? Or do you want to be in a city and meeting people and networking and stuff like that? I always say that the true way, if it's winter, you're either going to Asia or you're going south. And then you kind of end up working your way back into Europe for spring and going from there. But I love to just book a one-way ticket. Like, for instance, I'm here in Turks and Caicos because a friend is here and I can stay with her. And then I'll see how much I like it and I'll go from there. So I think there's always a human being that we've met and connected with in this community that is kind of one of those pulling force. And then we just go with it. Now, I hate having any flights booked. I hate having any obligations. I want to be able to stay and go as I please. That's exactly what happened to me in Thailand. I just kept extending. I went and saw an apartment and was like, I'm done. Here's my deposit. And I just stay there for two months. <laughs> now I'm almost waiting until my visa's up. And I'm like, man, I got to go somewhere else now. I don't want to pack my bags. Like I like it here. It's so beautiful, but I would say for anyone who's just starting out, you have to think about what, I mean, first you do it by your bucket list. When I first went out, I wanted to see the Cappadocia balloons. I wanted to go to Croatia. I wanted to go to South America. New Zealand was a huge thing. I still have other places on my bucket list for sure, but it's what are those events? Are there concerts? Are there business conferences? Is there specific seasons in that location you really want to go to and see? And you just pick something that kind of has the priority that's dictating your travel. And you just end up filling up the blanks through there and you just fill in the holes. And, but I love being able to allow yourself to meet people on the go. I was in Maui and I stayed in a hostel and I met these two girls from Switzerland. They're like, yeah, we're just island hopping and staying two weeks everywhere. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I would keep traveling with you. But I already had obligations to go up to Mount Whistler and ski with friends, which is so bizarre to go from Maui to Mount Whistler, let me tell you. But (laughs) it's doable. You can have luggage shipped to you. So yeah, I would say 
Travel is not scary. Just go with the flow. You can buy anything anywhere and you will be just fine. I just bought a 27 inch monitor in Turks and Caicos today to set up my new workspace. So it's just realizing that you can live and work anywhere and you can go and stay as you please. That's the other thing. Sometimes you go somewhere and you just don't vibe with it well and you want to move on other places you fall in love with and you want to stay there more. So it's just going with your gut again and doing honestly whatever you want because that's exactly why we built this lifestyle for ourselves. Well, let's talk about some of the places that you have been and some of the travel experiences that you've had. In addition to Turks and Caicos, I know you've selected and gone to a lot of really interesting and very different types of diverse places. So I have spent about probably at this point, about four months in Thailand, but I've never been to Koh Tao, which I know you went to, I think with a whole bunch of friends that we have in common as well. You guys all rolled out there as a crew. And then I think you stayed on for a bit. So I would love to hear about how your experience was in that part of Thailand. Oh, I love Thailand. Honestly, it's so funny because I always imagined my honeymoon would be in Thailand. And then I was there and I was like, wow, like I'll just stay and live here. And it's so cheap. It's just extremely beautiful and exotic and basically a dream come true. Koh Tao is very small, but I've come to find out that I just like island life. I think I like life where you don't have to wear shoes and there's a scooter culture. <laughs> I love the scooter and go on a personal hoverboard wherever you want. But we originally went to Koh Tao just to go for two weeks for New Year's and Christmas. And I think everyone was going to go to Bali. And then I just started looking up co-working spaces. It was actually Goran, I'm sure you know. He was like, I kind of like it. I think I might just stay. And it wasn't until he said that out loud. I was like, oh yeah, you have the choice to stay. So I stayed, I learned how to scuba. I never thought I would ever do that in a thousand million lifetime worlds at all. We would work and we would take a two hour snorkel break. We would just open up the map and just go to a different beach every different day. And snorkel was beautiful. The sea was like hot tub water. There was, you know, Rasta bungalow bars. We had an apartment with an insanely beautiful view of the ocean and palm trees and mountains for $300, like hammock lifestyle. It was exactly what you picture what you want your lifestyle to be like, basically. And I know eventually I'm sure it would have gotten old as it is an island and you can get island fever, but... It was just magical. There was definitely 50 of us. And then it wound down to eight. I also explored Bangkok and Chiang Mai. I met someone in Chiang Mai. I had a romantic venture in Koh Tao and was like, okay, so I am having my honeymoon here. So this is great. But <laughs> yeah, I think everybody should go to Thailand at least once in their life. I mean, to get a $7 massage every Sunday, you just can't beat that. Listening to the ocean waves, having Thai food off the streets from like you know, the grandma from that house make real Thai food. It was definitely, you know, it's hard to say what my favorite country is, but it's definitely, definitely up there. I feel you on the Thailand stuff entirely. It is one of my favorite countries in the world. I lived on the island of Koh Phangan, mm -hmm. right on the beach for five weeks. And it was just magical. Like you literally wake up every day and you walk out and you're in the sand. And then, as you said, there are $7 for a 60-minute Thai massage on the beach. You know, like yeah. you're in like a bungalow thing. You're hearing the waves 
and you're getting a Thai massage for an hour and it costs $7. So I actually did that more frequently than once every Sunday (laughs) (laughs) because it was $7 and then the Thai food and everything else. And it's just, it's a magical place. I go back to Thailand as frequently as I can. And I agree with you, like the, the places in Thailand are quite different. So Bangkok is quite different from Chiang Mai, mm-hmm. which is, of course, quite different from the islands, which are just absolutely stunningly beautiful. And yeah, the cost of living is incredible. The food is some of the best in the world, for sure. It's so just, yeah, it's just I, magic. It's magical. It's magical. Now, one of the other places that you've been that I have actually not been is you've been up to see the Dolomites in the northeastern part of Italy. And I have spent a reasonable amount of time in Italy. I've definitely spent numerous months in the country of Italy, but I have not yet been up to that region. I mean, the scenery is supposed to be epic. The wine is supposed to be amazing. Like it's just, it's, I've heard incredible things, but tell me what was that like? Oh, it was so, it's so dreamy. It's almost like Thailand dreamy, but it's Italy and it's in the mountains. It actually has a little bit of a German flair. There's a completely different language there, Latin, which we would have never known because, of course, no one tells us about really a lot what's going on in the rest of the world and their own history. But I went there last summer and a friend that I had met, that's what I love about the nomad lifestyle is you just meet people traveling and then you end up seeing each other again in other parts of the world. And she's like, yo, want to go to uh, Italy and go to the Dolomites? And I was like, yes, let's go. Oh God, it's like the most beautiful mountains and scenery you could ever imagine. And there's definitely a lot of driving involved, but you're staying in beautiful log cabins. It's still, you know, Wi-Fi and all that stuff is very accessible. So to be able to work in this huge, beautiful lodge of three floors, they're delivering fresh farm to table food that the owner of the lodge's grandfather made like that bread and jam and meat and whatever else. Then you'll get in your car, you'll do a sunrise hike, go into the streams. It was just, I could have spent so long there. It was just beautiful. And then of course you also have the whole Italy aspect. So you're like the olive oil, the cheese, the cooking, the culture. Um, It was really great to see because And my prior experience in Italy was the typical like Rome, Venice, Florence, Cinque Terre, which, you know, love all that. But that's why I would love to also go to like Switzerland and other these other places, because I definitely do love the country so much. And it just glorified the location independence aspect of you can truly work and live wherever the hell you want to. And you can wake up and do a sunrise hike. I think we probably went on like five to six hikes of just gorgeousness. And then we'd come home and work in the afternoon, take a nap and do it all over again. But it really makes me think back to what life was like before COVID as well, to be able to have the luxury of really being able to just get on a train or a bus or whatever. Even just from Venice, it's only an hour or two away. It's right there, but it's so untouched, which is also very nice about it. But one of my favorites for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I I would encourage you to keep Switzerland on your bucket list if you haven't done that yet. And particularly the train experience in Switzerland, which is arguably the most beautiful train rides in the world. I did it a couple of years ago. I actually did it as a, a my business partner and I decided to do 
our executive leadership meeting in Switzerland. So we roll up there and we decided, well, you know what? Why should we just sit in a room and have our meeting for eight hours a day? Let's get first class tickets on the Swiss rail system and get a three-day rail pass and just sit on the trains and have our business meetings on the train as we go through some of the most epic scenery on the planet. And we did it for three days and it was just insane. We went from Milan in Italy through the Italian Alps into Switzerland on the train. And then what is widely regarded as the single most beautiful and scenic train ride on the planet is, which I would concur with in terms of any train ride I've ever taken, is called the Glacier Express. Mm. And it's in Switzerland. It goes from Saint-Maurice to Zermatt. And it's an eight-hour express train. And it just goes right through the Swiss Alps. And the scenery is just completely insane. And then you can just continue to go around Switzerland. And it's really, really epic. So I think that's a really good spot to keep on your bucket list as well if you haven't done it yet. Yeah, see, there's just so many places to see. One of the other ones that I want to ask you about is your experience in Bosnia, because I have been to the Balkans. I spent about two months posted up in Belgrade in Serbia, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing city. And then I wanted to go to Bosnia. And I was not able to rent a car at the time because they have still restrictions between Bosnia and Serbia. Like you can't rent a car Mm -hmm. in Serbia and drive into Bosnia with Serbian plates because there's still all these restrictions between the countries based on the fallout of the Balkan Wars, right, In in the 90s. So what I had to do was fly to Croatia and then spend time in Croatia and then from Split in Croatia, I was able to go into Mostar and spend time in Mostar in Bosnia, which is just such an incredible city. But I was not able to get up to Sarajevo and to see some of the other parts of Bosnia. And I know you spent a bunch of time there, and I would just love to get your overall impression about how Bosnia was for you. Yeah, I love Bosnia. It has such a huge spot in my heart. And mostly because I could not believe so much of the war that had gone on. And in Sarajevo, we went out with a tour guide. And in Mostar, we went out with a tour guide. And to just learn history that had happened in my lifetime that I was so oblivious to and that they're still brainwashing people of, I'm like, this is such a beautiful country. If you did go to Mostar, it's like, oh my God, this is an enchanting castle of a place. And still to this day, they have three presidents. They have 50 political parties. Depending on your president is dependent on your religion. And dependent on that, still, you go to school at a specific time of day. You get specific teachers and specific school books. So the war is still very much like present. So I totally believe when they said you could not take that car into that country. So my heart really fell for a lot of those people because they were the nicest people ever. And our tour guide who was an engineer would make more money just doing day tours because of that. I just, I don't know, I fell in love with the place and I really fell for them. And I really wish that more tourism would go there. And that was one of the countries where we extended our stay. We were only going to pass through there actually on the way to Croatia because it was cheaper to get a flight to Bosnia than directly to Croatia. So we're like, oh, let's go to Bosnia. We'll just check it out. So we totally did it on a whim. 
we stay in the hostel for a couple nights. Then we just kept extending our stay. And it was kind of, that was the first time where I was like, you have to just go with your gut again, but just live that traveler life. And if you like somewhere and if you want to explore more, you can. They have beautiful waterfalls, mountains, scenery, castles, food, everything. Very, very cheap as well. So I always suggest everybody go to Bosnia. I would rather go to Bosnia than Croatia by a mile. I agree with you. I mean, I think the political history is incredibly powerful. It's very recent. And so one of the best, I think, walking tours that I've ever been on my life was in Mostar. It's called the Death of Yugoslavia Tour. And it was about the whole history from the Tito period up through the Balkan Wars to the present day. And it was just an unbelievably substantive political tour. And they were showing you all of this uh, just remarkable stuff on the tour. And it was really interesting. And I had the experience as well of living in Belgrade and then going into Bosnia as well and taking tours in both places and talking to the younger folks, right? Like the folks that were maybe, you know, were kids during the time of the Balkan Wars, right? And are now, of course, young adults that are tour guide age, right? And giving these tours. And one of the things that I found there that was so fascinating is in both in Serbia and in Bosnia, the tour guides who were, let's say, early 20s kind of age range, right? Who were like young kids during the Balkan Wars in the 90s. They all spoke Italian, which I thought was interesting, right? They, of course, spoke English in which they gave the tour. They obviously spoke Serbo-Croatian, right? And then they all spoke Italian. And I was like, that's really interesting. I was like, why do you guys all speak Italian? And what they said, and this was both the Bosnian tour guide and the Serbian tour guides said this. They said, well, what happened was during the war, the Italians, all of these Italian families in Italy opened up their homes and said to the Bosnians and the Serbs, they said, send us your kids and get them out of the war zone. We will take care of your kids during the war so the kids don't have to experience that. And we'll just have them come live in our homes and we'll raise them for until the war is over and it's safe for them to go back. And they said, whether they're from Bosnia or from Serbia or whatever, just like send us your kids and they're welcome to stay at our house and we'll feed them and take care of them and educate them or whatever. So all of these kids from Bosnia and Serbia went over to Italy, lived there for multiple years, right, during the war, hung out together, played together, all of them learned Italian together. And then eventually after the war was over, went back. And so now there's all of these like Bosnian and Serbian kids who like hung out together as kids and like they're cool with each other and they all speak Italian. And it's just, I mean, just incredible stories like that, that you learn when you go and spend time in those places. It's incredible. Your mind expand. And just like you said, those stories and travel experiences that you have, even when I spent time with a family in Jordan, right? And being able to have honest conversations with a Muslim woman and how. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, 
without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I wanna offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. She grew up in her customs and whatnot. It's just so invaluable. So 100%. Yeah. Well, let me actually ask you now, Helen, about your tips specifically for female solo travelers, because you've been doing this for a while now. You mentioned initially when you started off, so to your first independent trip, it was you and a female friend and how empowering that initial trip was. And then, of course, you've parlayed that now into a lifestyle where you're all over the world. But I would love, you know, at this point in your travel journey to hear any tips that you have for solo female travelers in particular. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I have an app. We all have the app. It's on our Apple phone. It used to be called Find My Friends. Now it's called on Find My. But I have my parents, my siblings on there, and I have my really good friends on there. So a big rule of thumb I have if I'm alone, whether if I'm staying in a hostel, I tell them I will give myself curfew and say, I will be home at midnight. If I'm not here, I want you to call my phone. Right. So, for instance, when I was in Venice alone, I met a guy and everything was fine, but you know, you just don't know. Right. So I told my Airbnb host, because you always want to make sure that someone local to you knows where you are and also someone at home. So I would tell not my parents, cause I wouldn't want them to worry, but more of a girlfriend of mine. And at the time zone, it's early for them. And I'd say, I'm going out with someone I just met. I'm going to put an alarm on my phone at 10 PM. I'm going to text you at 10 PM and just be like, everything's okay. But also with this app, she could put a notification on hers to notify her when I got home. And I would do this even in Boston. I'm going to a concert by myself. I want you to put on your phone a notification for when I get home. You just have to make sure people are aware of where you are. I stayed in an Airbnb in Jordan and he said to us, whoever you meet, I want you to take a picture of them or take a selfie with them and send me the picture. And I will tell you if they're okay or not, because with them, they're all in these old tribes where everybody knows each other, cousins of cousins. And he would say like, oh yeah, that's my cousin. He's great. So we would do that. We're like, okay, like you don't have to tell me twice. I'll do this. And so we had a beautiful, magical experience when we were in Jordan. And then the next night we met people And we're like, well, I don't know, maybe it'll be the same. And they're like, we can watch, you know, all the candlelight in Petra and this and that. We took a picture and sent it to our Airbnb host. And he said, tell me where you are right now. I'm coming to pick you up. Like this guy just got out of jail. And so you just have to be aware, but also not scared that these things do happen. And to just be cautious and just back yourself up. So the more people that know your location, where you are, I mean, even my guy friend, nomad guide travelers and whatever, they have my location. Because for instance, even if I'm with a big party of 50 people like the nomad crews out in Thailand, if I choose to stay at a bar later while everyone wants to go home, they still know that I'm there and what's going on in case anything were to happen. So I would just say communication is so, so big. And there's the typical things of not just looking like a tourist, 
knowing where you are at all times. Whenever I get somewhere, I know I have a bad sense of direction. So I save the Airbnb location. I make sure I get my bearings. I know where I'm going to work, the coffee shop, whatnot. But I am glued to understand the location of my surroundings. So A, I don't get lost. And if I do get lost, I know how to get myself out of it. But the less I can walk and look at my phone, the better, because I don't want to appear as a tourist. I think that's also super important. It's just making good decisions, being just more on your shit. Where am I at all times? Where is my Airbnb located? When you go into a country, you should 911 isn't 911 everywhere else. You should know what that number is at any location and how you could get to the hospital, how you could be able to call the police because you just never know. And the more you know, the less stress and freaked out you could be. It's almost like scuba diving in a way, right? Like they armor you with so much information if an emergency were have to happen. But then when you're underwater, you feel safe because you learned what could happen. So, Helen, let me ask you also about you've alluded to dating a couple times and going on dates. And I want to ask you about that more broadly, because this is a question that I get a lot in terms of how dating works as a nomad. How do relationships work and finding love as a nomad and all of that? What are your thoughts, experience, reflections and tips on dating as a nomad? Sure. So I met a guy when I was in Thailand and he was Greek and we met in a situation where it was actually kind of beautiful. It was for the Digital Nomad Summit, but it wasn't actually at that conference. But obviously there was a lot of nomads there. And we met in the Chiang Mai Saturday night food street market just at a picnic table, which was really cool. The thing is, is you have to be open to meeting anybody at anywhere at any time. And I say that for anyone in general who are afraid they're not going to meet any friends or they're going to be lonely. You have to be open to walking up to somebody and just starting a conversation. And the same thing goes with dating. No matter where you are, if you're in Bali, if you're in Thailand, if you're just at a co-working space, if you're sitting next to someone just strike up a conversation say, Hey, like, what are you working on? Where are you from? How long are you staying in town for? You have to learn how to be social and put yourself out there to meet somebody. Of course, there are still online apps. I haven't really done a lot of it. I would say I've done more of online dating in the States more than I've done out of it, but I have swiped a little bit in Turks and Caicos. I will say there is a couple pilots here, but they're pilots, but One of them did tell me he just got back from Mexico. And I was like, let me know when you're going back there again and I can get a ride. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the hardest thing with nomad dating in general is it can go from zero to 100 real fast. And you still have to go slow and steady in the process just because maybe you've had a great couple of nights together. You like this person. It doesn't mean you should now get a house with them and start living with them. Just like in the real world, you know, you wouldn't just meet somebody and be like, okay, because then it turns into a roommate relationship. You have to realize if you both have that lifestyle, you're both working, you're both doing those day to day, it can work, but you have to make sure you're being very open and honest in your communication, which I would advise anybody in any relationship. Communication is everything. But honestly, I know people have had really big problems in dating as a nomad. And I said to them, I have spent the last, you know, 
X amount of years in a major city and done all those same things. It's just dating. Don't blame the fact that you're traveling, (laughs) that it's dating. You want to meet somebody traveling and dating because that means you share the same lifestyle. You share the same values. So stop being a victim in this and just realize you are looking for one in a million and it's okay if that takes a little extra work, just like anything else does. It takes a little work to lose weight, to build a business, to meet the man of your dreams and end up doing the rest of the whole thing. But just also relax and have fun with it. You should be able to talk to a guy openly as a stranger at a bar and you should be able to go on a date and not have any expectations of what could happen on that date and just say, I got to meet a really cool person tonight. So as long as you just shake off all of your expectations, you're going to be fine. And once you do that, you'll actually meet some of them that you really like. And you have to just trust, you know, the universe and the angels that the right person is out there for you and they're going to put you in front of you when the time is right. So I think nomad dating is just like every other dating. That's awesome. That is really good advice. Helen, you also wrote a really, really good blog post on the power and importance of creating a bucket list. And I was wondering Mm. if you could just share a little bit about that. Why is it so important to create and have a bucket list? Well, creating a bucket list makes you think beyond and it's larger than life, you know, like mountains are, they put your ego aside and you're like, I can do anything and it's all possible. So writing down a bucket list is a form of affirmation and journaling and visualizing this destination. And actually when you're thinking of your bucket list, you're thinking of you physically being there in that future space. So you're really doing a lot of the law of attraction when it comes down to it. And I have my students think about I don't want you to just tell me that you're going to go to any destination. I want you to physically imagine what your day is like. Are you doing yoga in the morning? Where are you working from? What is your view like? I want you to really envision this bucket list destination, like completely harmonious with you and your work and your lifestyle. And it just gives you something to work towards. Because I think the hardest thing is once you aren't in any kind of schooling where someone's handing you an A, you have to give yourself that A and you have to have those goals. And you don't always want it to be a number or a business goal. You want it to be a life goal and a location goal. And so you should always have a bucket list. I don't know if my bucket list will ever be able to fully be checked off because once you go somewhere, you learn about a new place and the different kind of people there. And if you'd want to go back, you know, there's the sense of you leave a destination and you leave something to go back to, right? To do something there. I would have never imagined myself in Turks and Caicos right now. That was definitely not on my bucket list. (laughs) But the power of the bucket list is definitely powerful in the sense of a law of attraction and like attracts like, and you have to believe that you deserve the amount of abundance and the lifestyle that you want to have. So whatever your bucket list is for mine, I had, you know, I had the Cappadocia balloons on my bucket list, but it was on a vision board that I made in my twenties way before I'd ever imagined this lifestyle. And it's unbelievable because it's like this little teeny tiny square. And I'm like, Cappadocia is right there. I have like Santorini on there. I have Italy on there. An artist's journey is written out. The globe is there. It's letting your subconscious brain let you understand, hey, 
this is so deep inside you, your desires to go out there and do it. And by being able to imagine it, write it down, you now have a goal and you will start fighting towards that goal and however you get there. And you have to take those kind of risks in business and leaving society and leaving your home behind because you want to have that before you're retired, you know? Yeah, that's really good advice. And I agree with you entirely about how the bucket list expands, because in some cases it's you travel to a destination and then you learn about another one. In other cases, it may just be your example about you're sitting down and you're talking to a new person that you just met who's also a traveler and they just told you about this epic place that you didn't know very much about. And now all of a sudden that rises up super high on your bucket list, right? So on this podcast, for example, Maverick Show listeners know, I ask every guest, what are your top three favorite places you've ever been? Uh, Mm. And then I also ask them, what are their top three bucket list destinations right now that they haven't yet been to? And based on those answers, I revise my bucket list right? Because, because I'm talking to really interesting people that have been to a lot of places and have really researched places to go and I get tons of new information. So that's the great thing about travel, right? It, it's ever expanding and there's so many really, really epic experiences. But I do also want to now go into your entrepreneurial journey, Helen, because you mentioned that a few different times here. And I want to go a little bit deeper and maybe we could start off with just the way that you built your personal brand. I mean, first of all, I want everybody to follow you on Instagram because your Instagram is really impressive, next level content. And I think that was a big piece of your personal brand building, at least in the way that I have followed you over the years. And I have watched you through Instagram mainly, but I would love for you to just speak in general about the concept of personal brand building, how you did that. And then any tips that you have for people either with respect to Instagram or otherwise. Yeah, of course. So I think for me as a creative initially, I really want to be able to execute things that felt more aligned with who I am and show people who that is. So obviously like, you know, working for startups that I didn't really believe in or working at Fidelity, I don't really want to work on stuff. That's just like a green line in financial at a financial institution. So being able to still flex that creative muscle and bone is through photography and beautiful locations and, you know, and the apparel and the composition and whatnot. And to have that storytelling piece is kind of how it all originally began. But at the same time, what's funny about that is I was doing that when I was saying live journal or, or even in my MySpace, I used to put on my back to school clothes, go into my basement basement with my pink Canon camera for the self timer. And I was like, wow, I've just really never changed. It's just all evolved. I'm like, I actually invented Instagram when I was 12, but I just didn't know. But to build your personal brand, I think people think way too much about it. And so with my students, it's a lot of, again, I always say this, it's design line thinking and subconscious thinking. And to build your personal brand, stop looking at what everyone else is doing and what they look like, because your writing, it's already there. If you were to think about, if you were an Airbnb yourself, that's what I always tell, even if if I was working on a brand that was a product base or a human it doesn't matter. I want you to think about if you were an Airbnb, what would you look like? Would you be a bungalow? Would you be a boathouse? Would you be a luxe apartment? 
what is the atmosphere of you and how is it decorated inside? What is the feeling you get inside? What's on the wall? Is there artwork? Is there curtains? Is whatever, because that's also part of your client experience that you're giving to that person. Okay. And so then you can think about yourself as a package. What do you look like as a product? Are you in like a Tiffany box with a white bow? Are you burlap? Are you a glass package, a wine tube, paper tube, whatever? And it's really thinking about yourself almost like in an out-of-body way. And then if you were to sit and have coffee slash where would you have that coffee? Are you in a Starbucks? Are you wherever? If you were to sit across from yourself as a personal brand, what would they look like? What would their vibe be like, their energy? What are they wearing? And so when you think about like that, and I have this as an exercise to kind of grab those kind of images, like if you were in Airbnb, like, let me know, go to airbnb.com, go to West Elm, go to apartment therapy, yada, yada, pull those images together. Great. Now pull the images together for a packaging. Okay, cool. Now do it as a person. And when you see all three of them, because what's happening is you're not thinking about what your personal brand is. You're not thinking about what's the colors, what's the font, what's the logo going to look like, what's the company name going to be like. And you split it out into these three avenues. And then you start to consolidate. My students have been like, holy shit, I would have never thought this. And then I take a screenshot of their Instagram feed. I go, really? It's right there. Like all the colors are right there. I go, see this packaging? See that your packaging is your font. Your Airbnb is like your atmosphere and your colors. And that's how I advise anybody to start with their personal brand. It's really just a self-reflection on you because that is how you're going to be able to own that and really become that. I will find apparel I've had since college from Forever 21. And I go, oh, it's still on brand. It's like pink with palm trees or some shit like that. And the same thing goes to your writing style. However you write, stick with that. It's That's how you write. It's easy for you. That's how people are going to connect with you because it's in your voice. And I always have if you were to look at um, Carl Jung's 12 archetypes, it's basically the zodiac of branding. Our subconscious brain connects with 12 different personalities. So if you can just hang your hat on one of those and have one that supports it, you have a brand. So you're now combining a subconscious, let's say, reality and personality with everything that you already embody by the way your energy is, what kind of apartment you would want to be in or an Airstream or whatever that looks like to what you already buy in your clothes. And it's just there. All it is, we use such a small percent of our brain and that's really what it comes down to. And if you don't do these innovative exercises and just only look at yourself and not what everybody else is doing, it's so much easier to do. And I know when I made my brand, all I did was I looked at my own photos that I had from around the world in Venice and all different kinds of places. I dropped the colors and that was it. I was like, duh, it's there. But yeah, when it comes to Instagram, you have to do and take the photos or create the content that makes you feel confident in yourself and who you are and what your business and you're trying to serve at the end of the day. And that's basically it. But you want people to relate to you on that level. So I always have people do their three signature brand stories 
which puts your client as the hero that they can relate to you in their story. So for instance, you have a story on a personal level as how they can see themselves into your life and have that personal connection of like, wow, I actually am your younger self and I understand you and what you're talking about and how you're able to achieve that. And that's it. Your personal brand is so much more about how you're connecting to it, but to your younger self to have that person relate to you. I think that's really astute and insightful. And I want to also use that to now take the next step and talk about building a business and building a company brand. And let's maybe use this and start off by just talking about your business, your company, the Nomad Influence. And can you talk a little bit about how that came about and the business concept and the value proposition, the service offering of your business and how you work with your clients to build their businesses? Where are they starting from and how do you work with them? Yeah. So, I mean, the Nomad Influence, like every other business, I feel like just came out of a dream. And so many people were coming to me just honestly kind of mesmerized, like, how were you able to do this? How, and this is pre-COVID times, where obviously a lot of people are working from home now and understand what that, I feel like when that first happened, we were like, see, I told you, I'm not actually on vacation, I'm working, now you just understand it more. But a lot of people would ask the questions on the how to, and when it comes down to it, you can build a business off anything. And it's all just based on your own unique talent, your skill set, your core values, your own work experience, everything that has made you who you are today, you can capitalize on that. And you already embody and possess everything to do that. And so that's the biggest thing with the Nomad Influence is I've always dreamt and wanted to be an education online space for, let's say, my younger self, who is literally just looking at this girl on Instagram, like, oh my God, how can I be this person and have all of my clients, their biggest thing is they want to have this lifestyle where they can do whatever the hell they want. I say travel the world, but it doesn't have to be travel the world. Now let's build a business to get you there. And the first thing of doing that is, you know, doing that self deep reflection, that self assessment. I do a lot of design like thinking, which basically means, you know, as a designer, we build our way forward. We're not analytical thinkers because we're always creating something that we don't know what that future outcome looks like yet. And it wasn't until I read a book that I understood, oh my God, I'm the only one that actually thinks like this, like this all makes sense because we're always designing something that we have no idea what it goes from a sticky note to a product that we could have never even thought of, but you're just constantly building your way forward. And that's how I've built my business from the time that I was at an agency and my boss telling me your junior designers, they look up to you so much as a role model. And I did not see that at all. And I knew I had that pull to educate and mentor and teach and it just kept unfolding in that way. So in my business, it's very much the same. It's starting from complete scratch. I have all of them. Maybe they might have an idea. Like I want to do something creative, but some come in and say, I think I'm going to do copywriting and end up doing something completely different because the biggest thing is 
no one really asks us what we want to do, but we never ask ourselves what we want to do. We're so focused on what is that one thing that could make us any money. So you have to explore and innovate all of the ideas that you have within you and all the entrepreneurial career paths that you could have and start to think about what that looks like. What's your reset, your resources, your confidence level on that, your fuck yes scale on each of the different career paths that you could have. Then do market research on that thing. Find out who is doing this in the space. What are those competitors? And then just start working with people. Do the market research and start working with people to test your strategy, see how much you like doing it and see if you can get people results. So it's literally taking an idea understanding all the different business ideas that you could possibly have. Like I have so many, I started with three and I knew at the end of the day, they would all just fall flat to the one that I was most passionate about, which is the nomad influence, which is everything I learned from in my past career life. So doing all that, start working with your clients immediately and just build your way forward and then do the branding around it. Then do the content creation around it. So you're attracting those prospects and client onto your page that are like, holy crap, you are exactly who I need to work with. Because if you think about any successful entrepreneur, there's no one else out there like them. And there's a reason for that. I agree with that entirely. I mean, I think you have to figure out what you're able to do, what your expertise is combined with your passion, right? What are you good at and what do you like? And then you have to be able to sell it right? You have to be able to figure out a way to generate income from it, right? And as soon as you do that and you, you you verify, you know, your minimum viable product or service or whatever it is, and that somebody's willing to pay for it and you like doing it, yeah. then you can just, you know, build that brand and, you know, develop your marketing and get it in front of the right people and kind of scale it up and all that. And I love that with the Nomad Influence, you take people from scratch, very step one, might not even know what type of business they want to go into or what their idea is. And you help them formulate that, then monetize that, then build the brand, then do the marketing and scale. Mm -hmm. And you take them through the entire thing from A to Z around something that A, they're passionate about and they're going to enjoy doing Mm -hmm. and B is going to finance allocation independent lifestyle for them. Right? Yeah. Just as you said, I've noticed in this space that I'm definitely one of the only people that focus on scratch basis. I think a lot of people have an idea of what they want to do. Like, oh, I want to be a coach. So I'm going to help for like first year coaches or yada, yada. But this is really geared towards people that have absolutely no idea what the hell they want to do to the point that their mindset is blocked and think they don't have anything they can offer to clients, which you know, I really feel for and understand, but it allows me to bring my, you know, it's like back being at the agency being like, all right, let's put our heads together and make this brilliant idea come to life based on all these different particles of who you are. So I love doing it. And what it also does, I'm still able to be a creative, but be able to teach it and be the authority in it and not be dictated or anything like that. So I have found in this, as I've built my own business from scratch, put together my own pieces into, into fruition. And it's just the proof of the concept that you can build a business based on exactly who you are. And when you think about it, there is a billion people in this world. You only have to find a handful of them. And can you give just from your own example of that, just needing to find a handful of people that want to work with you personally for your expertise, for your business, 
of how the launch of your latest coaching offering went? Yeah. So, and that's the thing when you start your own business, it's way faster. So I did a first, I did a beta launch, which was like very soft. I only talked about it in my stories and I worked with my first clients. And then just like two months later, I launched the full coaching program and it was a $42,000 launch. It may have actually been 46,000. I've had, I'd have to redo the math. But it just goes to show that with hard work and the right step by step, you can become very profitable and start and grow your business just within a couple months together. So I have my four month one on one coaching program, which I call Build Brand Be Free to build a freedom based business from scratch. So we'll define your profitable business, build a magnetic standout brand, and then you will become the go to expert in the niche that you know, we'll come up with and decide um, through content creation. So it's taking all of those pieces and attracting those exact dream clients that you want onto your account to want to work with you. And I'm also creating an online course or the online course has been created um, of the profitable business blueprint. So this is kind of just the first step and it's a brand new self-study course to unlock your skills, to kickstart your business. So we do a lot of mindset work because I've understood that, especially like you and I have traveled a lot and I think it really helped us to travel maybe before building our business. But if you're someone who is, especially if you've just graduated, been laid off with COVID, you're you know struggling as a freelancer, and you've understood now how short life is and want to live this lifestyle. It's perfect for you within the mindset that you can build the business of anything that you want to. You do have the skills. So we uncover your unique brilliance, the unique profitability of that, doing all that market research. And we map out your offer to create in-demand services, what your signature offer could be and what your beta offer would be. So you can immediately be like, okay, I know what my talent is. I know what my skill is. I know what I can offer to clients. I feel confident with that services. I know how to price it. And I'm going to just start working with beta clients first to see how much I like doing this. If I want to go all in on this before all of those things. So the profitable business blueprint is kind of like the jump off to before going into, let's say the one-on-one program at this point is how I'm building this all out. I'm just so passionate about him. Like we all have something that we can offer the world and to find, oh, so to find those handful of people, oh my, Facebook communities, they are just waiting for you. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the social media, whatever. The thing is, is there are so many people that are staying up at night right now wanting what comes so easy to you. And that's the thing. As long as something comes easy to you and it's not so easy for someone else and you like doing, you have a business. Or if you've overcome an obstacle in your life and now you can teach that, you have a business and that's all it is. And there's billions of people that need this. All you have to do is show up and put yourself it's almost like a school of fish and all you have to do is just go into the middle of it and say, I'm here. I'm here and I want to help you. How can I help you? And asking people, how can I help you put the gauze over your bleeding neck? You know, even um, my sister, for instance, I'm showing her kind of how to be an OBM because she doesn't know that she's already an OBM in her current work. 
And I'm like, this stuff keeps me up at night, like Excel sheets and this and finance and yada, yada, yada. The systems keeps me up at night because I'm a creative person. And she's like, oh my God, that's so easy for me. I love getting lost in Excel. And I go, exactly. You wouldn't think that you can make a business out of it because it comes so easy to you. And when something comes so easy to you, you think it comes so easy to everyone, but it's just not the truth. And you can make a business out of everything. So it's just being able to take that first step really and get uncomfortable and know that you will make mistakes along the way. But those mistakes are the biggest blessings in disguise possible and how you'll grow. But if you really want it, you can make anything happen. I love that. And I love that you have all of the different pieces in there, right? The the identifying the what it is that's your individual value to offer. Then here's how you go and monetize it and get your first clients and sort of beta test that. Then you're then able, Helen, to deploy your branding and marketing expertise that you've developed over 10 plus years to help them actually build a brand and actually market it and actually scale it into a business, right? Which is the other piece of it. So I love that your program has the start to finish, you know, scratch to fully functioning uh, business that's going to finance a, a location independent lifestyle. I think that's amazing. We are going to give folks the link at the end of this podcast for exactly how they can connect with you on all of that if they are interested. And I want to ask you, before we move into the lightning round, now I want to ask you just one more question before we do that. And I want to just maybe preface this and start this off with one of my favorite Instagram posts of yours that you put up is you sitting in Mostar in Bosnia in front of the Starry Most, which is mm-hmm. this iconic piece of Ottoman era architecture in Mostar, which is amazing. And your caption of that picture says, quote, travel means realizing you can be a queen without a king in your own dreamy fairy tale, end quote. I think that is amazing. <laughs> and I want to ask if you can or if you would like to expound upon that and talk about at this point in your travel journey, 30 plus countries, six continents, living this lifestyle for many years now, full time at this point in your life, what does travel mean to you? What do you get out of it? Why do you continue to travel? Uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's just embracing the unknown. When you travel, there is just so much opportunity with business and life. And we grow so, so much as when we're traveling, it's unprecedented. So it really is finding that meaning through travel and then building that growth and finding that clarity on your life's purpose. You know, your core values will change. You will see, hopefully you will give back into the world. You will meet people from all over the world who are going to tell you completely different stories of how they grew up, what their religion is like, what their holidays are like. You're going to meet super insane professionals that you're going to aspire to be. There is just so much more of abundance in life in general to travel, to 
different countries and continents and language. And it's just incredible. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Europeans have a fucking nap every day. Like, we don't do that. (laughs) It's just putting yourself out into a different world of how other people live their life. And it ends up being very creative work as well, you know? It's not until I'm going into like the Sistine Chapel or something like that. And you're really bringing back to like that artist root of why we do this. So we only have so much history in America. But when you're out somewhere else, there's just so much abundance of real knowledge from real people that are small little pieces that end up building up the blocks of who you are. But yeah, it's, it really is. Everyone has their own unique experience and it's finding that meaning through travel to find more clarity about who you are as a person, to be able to love yourself more as a person, to forgive yourself in who you are, forgive, you know, the things that made you insecure, let's say as like an inner child and understand what you really want to be and what you want your life to be. And I feel like it's very hard to do that. And, you know, maybe that inner work as well, if you stay home and you're not embracing travel and what can happen. So I guess that's what keeps me out here. I mean, I also just don't have any strings attached either. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. Helen has a great answer. All right. At this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yes, I'm ready. Hit me with it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has influenced you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out? All right. Well, I can't say one, but it's actually funny. I've said this often. One book. It's very famous. They have a movie. Read the book is Gone Girl because you need to gone girl the shit out of your life, which means be five steps ahead of everybody else and put yourself first and do whatever it takes. Um, And any woman who's actually read Gone Girl and man, doesn't matter, will understand what I'm talking about because she is just like so clever and on it. And it's like, nope. I will say my other two faves, and I have them with me, is Vagabonding, which is a very famous book, but it's the uncommon guide to the art of long-term world travel. Very famous. He basically has articulates everything that you and I encompass and how to make this lifestyle work in a very minimalistic and heartful way. And the other book that I absolutely love and I'm reading right now is Building a Story Brand. And I think it just goes back to all the creative roots, but reading how someone is articulating it is just so amazing and he basically just goes back to this is why startups fail this is what you need to be doing in your marketing this is how to really tell tell a story but those two right now are my absolute favorite so it's a long-term travel book and a brand business building book and then the gone girl book is just how to own and fucking crush your life kind of book in a nutshell so Awesome. All right, (laughs) Helen, if you could go back in time now, knowing everything that you currently know, and you could give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Helen? I would say that it's going to be scary. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to end up doing it anyway. So just do it now. Because 
there are so many times that we have um, an intuitive feeling or our gut is telling us to do something and we ignore it because of what society may think of it. And at the end of the day, you have to surrender because you're going to end up doing it anyways. And when I was in the agencies, I kept feeling like I don't know enough to do this right now. Now, I don't know what would have happened if I started earlier, but just fucking do it. Just start because no matter what, you're always going to be thinking about the dream that you want to have and the lifestyle and work and career you want to have. So just start doing it now because you have absolutely nothing to lose. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to folks? Well, a travel hack. If you don't have the priority lounge, you're crazy and you can get that free through your chase card. Make sure you have the Schwab card so you don't pay ATM fees because I just recently paid $600 this past year being in Asia in ATM fees. For sure. Only book one-way tickets. Don't book round trip and just let life unravel and unfold as it should. I used to always bring my pillow traveling with me and this is the first time I haven't because I like to bring a sense of home with me. But I do bring party tricks with me. So I guess that works. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. All right, Helen, you do realize that in two of the previous questions, I've asked you to name one thing and you've named three. I know. So now I'm going to let you name three. Are you okay. ready? I am going to ask you up front for your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you would most recommend people check out. I mean, obviously Thailand. Duh. The Dolomites, for sure. I mean, Italy in general. And Lisbon I like a lot, but I would also say like bucket list kind of things. Petra and Jordan is beautiful. Cappadocia and Turkey is beautiful. Rio is beautiful. And of course, I can't only name three. I mean, I just love everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're up to six. You see how this works? Ask you for one, you name three. Ask you for three, you name six. <laughs> a, a world traveler, indeed. Indeed you are. All right, final question. I'm going to ask you to name your top three bucket list destinations. These are places you've never been that right now are the highest on your bucket list you most want to go? Well, I still haven't been to South Africa. And you and I have talked so much about Africa, but still haven't been able to go down to Cape Town or any of those regions. I want to be able to spend like six months there. So that's super high on the list. I want to go to Peru and the Galapagos and see all of that ish down there because the only place I've seen in in South America is Brazil. I'd love to hike in like Patagonia and just freely travel throughout all of South America. And I also want to see kind of like Greenland and Iceland and all like the Viking places. I've never seen anywhere of my roots and my roots are Polish, Irish, Scottish, and English. And I have not been to any of those places. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Nice. Those are good picks. Those are good picks. Awesome. All right, Helen. Yeah, you're going to have to give me some uh, tips on the Dolomites because I am planning to do a trip back to Italy very soon and to hit some of the top wine regions there, including that Northeast section. So definitely going to ask you for that. And also for sure, when you're ready to do your South America trip, hit me up on that. I've done a bunch of those spots that you named. So we will collaborate and uh, hopefully be able to meet up somewhere.
somewhere soon, whenever it's safe to start traveling the world again. But I want to ask you now for how people can find you, connect with you, follow you on social media, and what types of people would be sort of the ideal customer for your course and your coaching program and all that kind of stuff? And how can folks sort of come into your universe and connect with you? Yeah, of course. So on Instagram, it's just Helen Simpkins. I also have thenomadinfluence.com. We can pop a link in here and you can just literally get on the phone with me that's always the easiest way. And I can talk to you and understand what your current starting point is and what I recommend, whether that is one-on-one coaching, whether that is a course, but also in that coaching, does it make sense for it to be an intensive to four months? Like there's so many ways in that realm. And I want to give you what's best for you in your current situation and what your dreams are. The biggest questions, what are your goals from three to six months? And we go from there. My dream client and who you would be to work with me is someone who is honestly ambitious, want to start a business from scratch and just ready to hit the ground running because there is definite work involved. And as There's training, curriculum. It's almost like having an online course plus a coach giving you that tough love, accountability, having their eyeballs glued to you and your business with also implementation weeks as well to make sure you're getting that work done. But that's really it. You know, it's someone who's just ready. Like some of my clients, they call me up. They're like, I just got my MBA. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like, let's say no more. Like... But there's also people who are really wanting to understand what their skill and talent is, like what they can offer to clients. They just, they have a desire to have whatever lifestyle they want to. And they know they have something inside of them that they can offer and to help people with. They just don't know what it is. And I love doing that. A friend of mine told me, she's like, I love it. You kind of just pull talent out of people. And that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. I will pull the talent out of you. We'll understand if it's profitable and you'll just start working with people right away to understand the reality of it. Can you find that person results? Do you like doing this thing? And then let's go all in on this. You know, we don't need to go all in on the front like we did in the olden days. Like you have to have a brand and a website and all this crap. It's the opposite now. Let's make sure that you're solving an actual problem first and you're passionate about it and it's aligned with who you are what you believe and what you want to do. And then you will succeed. There's no doubt in my mind. So (laughs) reiterate, recap, you can work with me one-on-one and you can apply to work with me and we'll get on the phone and find out what the best solution is for you to work with me. And I also have an online course, the Profitable Business Blueprint, which is the gateway to kickstart your business, to understand and find all that clarity before you start working with beta clients. If you're not ready to do that full program of uh, clarity, create and connect is what I consider the three phases. Confining that signature business idea, doing the market research, but yada, 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 working with clients to creating and building that personal brand to connecting with them and social media and 
building a profile that attracts these customers that are going to literally slide into your DMs and be like, how can I work with you? I totally understand. Some people are like, I need to understand what my talent is before I do that full adventure. And that's completely understandable. And that's exactly why I made the profitable business blueprint as the first step. So this is for someone who is ready to start a business from complete scratch so they can eventually live wherever and work wherever they want to. In a nutshell. That's amazing. We are going to link everything up in the show notes. So folks can go to one place at themaverickshow.com and just go to the show notes for this episode. And well, we're going to have everything that we mentioned in this episode, including Helen's book recommendations and everything else, but we're also going to have her contact information. And then Helen, is there any type of discount or special offer for Maverick Show listeners to come into your world? Yes, of course. So you can watch the first two lessons for free. And for Maverick listeners, you'll get $25 off the course. I think everybody should check out your website. I mean, the visuals are stunning on it. The copywriting is excellent. There's also really good just substantive blog posts and like guides to different places like Bosnia that we talked about and, you know, other spots like that. So there's just really good free content on your website as well, which I want to encourage people to check out. And then, of course, follow you on Instagram uh, because you're doing really next level cutting edge stuff on that platform. And I think folks should just be paying attention to it in general, but we are going to link up the link to your course and the special Maverick code for the discount and all that kind of stuff is going to be at one place at the maverickshow.com. Just go to the show notes for this episode and there you'll see that along with everything else we have discussed on this episode. Helen, this was such a fun conversation. Thank you for coming on the show. I know it was so fun and I can't believe I always think back to when we had the most beautiful bottles of wine in Athens and to go back to that. That was amazing. I feel like we found the preeminent wine bar in the city of Athens, Greece. And we were there and we would just go there on a regular basis. And this sommelier at this bar would just serve us the most delightful and amazing wines. And we would just sit there and drink them night after night. And it was super, super epic. So that is a great memory. And I'm super excited to figure out when you and I will be able to see each other again and meet up in some super epic place around the world. But it was so good, though, Helen, to catch up with you and to have you on the show. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad I could be here as well. It was so fun. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free 
at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.